Just how bad is a person in the sight of God? Job chapter 14, the first verse says, Man that is born of woman, his days are few and full of trouble. Who can know it? Verse 4, can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not a one. Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Neither can you, who are accustomed to do evil, do good. God's measurement is his glory, his righteous character. Can you measure up? No, all have sinned, all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. What is the outstanding sin today? Unbelief. John chapter 16, our Lord says in verse 9, he's going to reprove, judge the world of sin because they believe not on me. He's going to judge men not because they're bad or irreligious or good or indifferent, but of unbelief because they believe not on me, because they refuse God's wonderful gift to us in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the years, Dr. Mitchell touched a lot of lives as he served as founder and pastor of Central Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, and one of the founders and professors of Multnomah School of the Bible, now Multnomah University. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study and not affiliated with either Central Bible Church or Multnomah University, but by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. What did Jesus do on the cross for you and me and for God? Well, in this series of Bible studies, we are exploring answers to this question. In this lesson, Dr. Mitchell will be taking up part two on the truth of what does God see in man. And he shares with us scriptures that reveal what God sees in man, even down to his very motives. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, Dr. Mitchell says it reveals what a man is, what a man does, the cause of it, and the final verdict that there is no fear of God before their eyes. You'll also notice the universality of sin in verses 9 through 12, all None, followed by the anatomy of sin in verses 13 through 17, the throat, the tongue, the mouth, the lips, and the final conclusion is the same in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell in part two of What Does God See in Men? And you're listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you. And we're dealing with a new series of subjects, dealing with the work of Christ which he accomplished for men and women at the cross of Calvary. We have been dealing with the fact that man is so incurably bad 
Nothing short of the death of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, will atone to put away your sin and my sin. I recognize the fact that I'm dealing with a very, very important thing. And yet I also realize that for many, many people, they don't want to accept this fact. We rebel against it. I know this. How well I know it. If you had told me before I became a Christian that this was the way God looked at me, the chances are I would have become very angry and told you in no uncertain sound where to head in, that I was good as anybody else. But my friend, I'm not dealing with you, and you are not dealing with me. We are dealing with God. And when we think of the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross 1,900 years ago to put away your sin and my sin, a great many people resent this. They resent it in no uncertain sound. Do you mean to tell me that I'm so bad that nothing short of the death of Jesus Christ can atone for my sin? That's correct. As the songster puts it, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, that he died for me. And in our last lesson, we were dealing with the fact of how God sees men. We were dealing about, we were dealing with his degeneration in Romans chapter 1, how God gave men up to uncleanness, to vile affections, to a reprobate mind. We saw the heart condition of man, how God looks upon the heart of man, not only what he does, but what he is in himself. Can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Neither can you who are accustomed to do evil do good. Jeremiah 30, 13, 23. Or allow me to quote some of those verses that I gave you last time. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousnesses are in God's sight as filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one, not even you, not even me. Now listen, listen. I'm not talking about how men see you. I'm talking about what God sees, what God sees. What a holy, righteous, omnipotent, sovereign God sees in man. And he sees nothing, nothing at all that can appeal to him. He looked for someone, found none. So, we were closing with that amazing passage in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, 11 to 13. The very we were living in the very desires and lusts of the flesh and of the mind. Oh, there are so many people say, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do the other thing. But what are you thinking about? What are your thoughts? And out of the abundance of the heart, man speaketh. What comes out of your mouth, my friend, is only a revelation of what's in your heart. And God reads not only your actions and hears your words, 
but he sees your very motives. That's something you and I can't see. With the result that God has a great indictment of the human race. Listen to what he says. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And God's indictment and God's judgment is guilty. And the whole world stands guilty before God. You are in yourself before God unrighteous, for there is none righteous, no, not one. And if you have your Bible there, I would suggest you read those verses that I was quoting to you. Romans chapter 3, 9 to 12, what I am. And 13 to 17, what I do. And verse 18 is the cause of it. No fear of God before our eyes. And the verdict, every man's mouth shut and the whole world guilty before God. You know, some years ago in Dallas, Texas, I came down with a, a very bad case of diphtheria. In fact, when I went to the hospital and I said, do you have a room for a man called Mitchell? I said, yes, where is he? I said, I'm he. Oh, I said, this fellow's very, very sick. I said, lady, you're telling me? You better get me to my bed or I'll just drop right down here in my tracks. I could breathe in, but I could hardly breathe out. And as the doctor said, I had a very bonny case of diphtheria. Well, I got to bed, and he called another doctor in, and two of them examined me. They looked down my throat. You would think I was a piece of furniture they were looking at. But they were looking down my throat, and one said to the other, isn't that a dandy case? Isn't that a dandy case? And here I'm nearly choking the earth and talking about being a dandy case. And so they, they give an order to the, to the nurse, and she came in with a hypodermic needle full of antitoxin, I suppose. And uh, it looked to me like an alamite, the old alamite grease gun, so big. And they put in 35,000 units of antitoxin. This is quite a few years ago, by the way. I don't know what to do now. And they gave me a pill and told me to go to sleep. Well, the next morning he came in, and at the end of my bed was the chart, and the nurses had written down on the chart my condition. So he said, well, Mr. Mitchell, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. I have a little trouble breathing out, but I said, otherwise I'm feeling pretty good. He said, is that so? He picked up the chart and read the chart. He said, according to the chart, you're not feeling too good. I said, listen, mister, I told you that I'm feeling a lot better. He said, the chart says, not so. And I've got to go by the chart. So he said, keep on the pills, and he went away. And he came back that night, about 6 o'clock, looked in my throat, looked at the chart. And he said, well, how are you? I said, I'm all right, except one or two little things. He said, well, I'm afraid I'm going to give you some more antitoxin. Well, I said... I'm not so bad. He said, the chart says you need it. So she came in with another alamite grease gun, this hypodermic, and gave me 25 more shots of this stuff, 25,000 units of this stuff, whatever it was. And I saw it going in. In fact, the first time he put it in, uh, he put it uh, right down near my groin, and he said, 
When he asked me the next morning how I felt, I said, I feel fine, except I've got appendicitis on the wrong side. Well, the result was anyhow, the next morning he came in and he said, how are you? And I said with a very definite statement, I said, I feel fine. And he didn't say a word. He went to the end of the bed and picked up the chart and read the chart. And he said, yes, you're going to be all right. Well, after a few days, by the way, I had witnessed to this doctor a number of times. And I said to, he said to me one morning, he said, well, now you can go back to your, back to school, back to the office. I was attending a seminary then. He said, and uh, someday when you feel up to it, come on down to my office. Well, I had been out of the hospital about, I don't think, less than two days. I decided to take a walk. Well, I began to walk down toward town, decided, well, I've got this far, might as well go the rest of the way. So I went to the doctor's office. He said, what are you doing here? Well, I said, you told me to come and see you. Well, he said, I didn't expect you for another week. But you're here, I'll examine you. So he came and examined me. He said, you're fine. About uh, two or three months after this, I'm going to leave Dallas, Texas and go on the road. He heard about it and he called me up and he said, are you coming down to see me before you leave town? And I said, no, I wasn't planning on it. He said, well, you better come on down to see me. So I went down to see him and he said, well, Mr. Mitchell, he said, uh, if ever you get into trouble, please phone me and I'll do what I can for you. Well, I said, I don't expect to get into trouble. He said, will you make me a promise? that if you get sick or have any trouble of any kind, you call me, will you please? I said, all right, I'll make that promise. I don't expect I'll need it, but I'll, I'll give you the promise. That's fine, he said. Now I said, will you make me a promise? He said, what's that? Will you please, sir, read your Bible every day? And he said, read my Bible. I said, yes. So I don't need the Bible. I said, do you know that you've got a, 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 an incurable disease? He said, I do. I said, you sure do. What is it? I said, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You're unrighteous. I said, the wages of sin is death. And sir, you have sinned against God, and there's only one thing, that's death. Oh, he said, I'm not a bad fellow. Why, he said, I'm a member of a church. I said, I know that. But I said, the chart says, You've got an incurable disease, and only God can cure it. The chart says, do you remember that I said you came to me the first time I was in the hospital and you ordered 35,000 units of antitoxin and you remember that you just asked me whether I was right-handed or left-handed and you stuck that thing right below my heart? I said, I should have stopped you. You see, he had said to me, I've got a scientific mind. Well, I said, you know, I'm glad I don't because when you push that needle in me, I should have said, wait a minute, doctor, just you wait a minute. I want to see if every one of those bugs are the same kind of a bug. I want to know what you're putting into my body. I've got a scientific mind and I want to check. Why, well, he said, I'm the doctor. I said, yes, and I had faith in you to believe what you said was true. And you remember when afterwards I said, I felt pretty good, you said, Mitchell, you're under an opiate. I've got to go by the chart. I said, doctor, you are under the opiate of sin. And the chart says you're dead in trespasses and sins and you need a savior. May I suggest that, of course, he, he, he was 
very busy that moment. Then he said, well, excuse me, I've got quite a few patients out here, and away I went. I'm glad to report that. Some of that man got down, and I accepted the savior, that doctor. What a matter was one thing here. The chart said, people tell me, Mitchell, I'm not so bad. You tell me you're not so bad. You might even say you're as good as I am, and that's not saying very much. Is that what you're going to tell God? My friend, God looks right down into your heart, and God has come to a conclusion. In Romans 3, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. God has declared that the, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's measurement is his glory, his righteous character. Can you measure up? No, all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second conclusion is in Galatians 3.22, which says, The Scriptures hath concluded all under sin. The Scriptures hath concluded all under sin. My friend, your argument is not with me. Your argument is with God. He says, through his word, all are under sin. In Romans 11.32, I read, God hath concluded all Jew and Gentile in unbelief. For what purpose? That he might judge them? No, that he might have mercy upon all. I'm glad it was put that way, aren't you? Count us all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. And friend, let me say very clearly, you can't change God's conclusions, but God can change you. Can I repeat that? You cannot change God's conclusions. What are they? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scriptures hath concluded all under sin. God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. You can't change God's conclusions. God knows more about you, your heart, your thinking, your motives, your actions than you do yourself. And he says he's come to a conclusion. And I repeat it, my friend, you cannot change God's conclusions. Why don't you accept God's conclusions and then accept his offer of mercy? God has concluded Jews and Gentiles, every one of us, in unbelief. What for? That he might have mercy upon all. He might have mercy upon all. In fact, I would quote with dear Paul in the book of Romans chapter 11, all oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? It's not what I think. It's not what you think. It's not what anybody else thinks. It's what God has declared. And friend, the wages of sin is death. Sin pays wages. You can't go on strike. You can't quit the job. You've got to receive wages, which is death, eternal death. How can I get free from the wages? They've got to be paid. 
This was why God sent his son. Now you realize what I've been going after. It's folly for us to talk about the love and grace and righteousness of God when men are occupied with themselves, their own so-called boasted goodness and morality and religious exercises. It's not until we get right down to the place where God puts us, where God sees us, we begin to appreciate his love, his mercy, his grace. So we can say with the songs that you remembered, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. A bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Oh, what is the outstanding sin today? Unbelief. And as John chapter 16, our Lord says in verse 9, He's going to reprove, judge the world of sin because they believe not on me. He's going to judge men not because they're bad or irreligious or good or indifferent, but of unbelief because they believe not on me, because they refuse God's wonderful gift to us in Jesus Christ. Friend, I've I've gone very quickly over this, but I want you to see it. Oh, the folly of men trying to tell God how to run his business. The folly of men sitting in judgment on God and practically telling men, I don't accept your way of salvation. I'm going to make my own. And my friend, your way is the way of death. My way is the way of death. God's way is the way of life. God's way is the way of forgiveness, of life eternal, of relationship to God. He's done this so that you can give him all the glory and all the praise. No wonder I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, no flesh shall glory in his presence. And again, as I see this wonderful fact, do you mind if I repeat that verse of the song? Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. A bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. God sent forth his son to be a redeeming sacrifice for your sin. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And aren't you glad that he said to the people of his day, and he is saying it to you today, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, heavy laden with sin, with failure, with frailty, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. Come unto me. For he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Won't you accept the Lord Jesus Christ today and pass from death to life? But remember, he will not accept anyone. I don't care who you are. He will not accept anyone except in his Son, Jesus Christ. Now may the Lord make this very precious and very real to you for his name's sake. 
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.